Every day is filled with choices. You're here because you're choosing to start with a win. Get ready to be inspired, learn something new, and connect with the Win Nation. Coming to you from Remax World Headquarters, Denver, Colorado. Adam Canto, CEO here with Start With A Win. We have on the other side of this virtual studio. Producer Mark, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing so good. Not as good as you with your cherry limeade over there. Tell me a cherry limeade. I mean, there's a hello. Product placement is everything. I I need a (laughs) shelf to put it. (laughs) If you're just listening to this podcast, Adam has this delicious, large cherry limeade. Go over on YouTube and and, and watch this episode. (laughs) Mark, I have the cherry limeade for a very special reason, okay? We have a very special guest today. We have the former chairman, former CEO, former did just about everything else in the company for decades at Sonic, Mr. Cliff Hudson. How are you doing, my friend? Doing great. Doing great. Adam, great to be with you on the show today. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, um, you know, you've you've been such an inspiration to me over the years. CEOs follow good CEOs. And it's been really cool to watch you. And you just put out a new book recently, Master of None. Is how Master of None. Yeah, Master of None. Subtitle, subtitle, critical part of it too. How a jack of all trades can still reach the top, which oh, I, I think is a, a pretty pretty good description of my my background and my path. So, well, why don't you tell us about that? Well, I mean, you you know, jack of all trades. How a jack of all trades can reach the top? Because so many people in life, you know, we've got some people, you know, like a surgeon or, uh, and I know you're a attorney by. By education, by trade a little bit, things like, you know, a lot of people pick this path in life, but how can you, if you've been a jack of all trades, figure out how to find this massive amount of success, like what you found? Give us a little history on on your thought behind that. Well, I think uh, in some ways, I think the the jack of all trades is um, uh, a contributor to uh, success. But uh, from my standpoint, running a franchise organization for you know 23 years to be exact i think did require uh, the development of skills over time there's no doubt and i think the whole focus of the book for the i'd say for the average reader if a person you know is thinking about becoming a brain surgeon or a, uh, something that requires a very very high level specialty then um, i think uh, having a great degree of focus and developing that specialty is critical uh, to their career. But most people aren't going to become, you know, brain surgeons, you know. And I also think many, many people, uh, particularly if they do have a, a head construct that's more of a generalist and they do enjoy a variety of things in life, uh, they may not know really what path they want to be on for a number of years. And so to a great degree, when I say a number of years, uh, uh, I'm talking, you know, 25, 30 years old, you know, and, and, and older. So I think having good basic preparation, uh, good education, learn how to be a good thinker, uh, critical analysis, uh, broad understanding of the world. These are all good things that uh, no matter what path you go down, they're good preparation, uh, but they also give you a, an appreciation for a variety of paths instead of a single path you're going to focus on. But also, I think the world around us is changing rapidly enough, particularly because of technology, even if you want to go into technology. I mean, the idea of focusing on one area of technology and becoming a high degree, getting a high degree of special specialty, 
uh, only to see that change, you know, underneath, you know, shift underneath you in a short period of time. It's a real possibility and not just a possibility, it's happening daily, you know. So this the thought really is about good general preparation, good general education, critical thinking skills, awareness of the world. And if you have interest in a broad variety of things, pursue a variety of interests. Don't just pursue one. Uh, because I think it, uh, pursuing one can actually dull your senses rather than sharpen them. So, so you, these are the these are the ideas. I I, I love that, and I'm I'm just sitting here kind of unpacking the depth of what you're saying right now. You know, you you started as as an attorney in your professional life. You were an attorney in your mid to late twenties, and that's when you you started working with Sonic. Is that correct? That's correct. And my my undergraduate work before then. Um, you know, nothing against accounting, just a question of whether it works for you, you know. Um, but my dad did say to me when I was uh, uh, in in college, uh, you know, if you think about going to law school, uh, these guys that have CPA and law degree, you know, it's really a strong combination. So I enrolled as a, uh, I enrolled in an accounting course and I went one day. And I dropped the course the next day and picked up a cultural anthropology course. So, I mean, it really couldn't, it, it could be more different. I don't know what it would be to be more different than the accounting class, but, but uh, it, that really was not for me. I ended up being a history major, which I enjoyed then. I enjoy now. And you, you can see in the book uh, references to various historical figures and how they re- represent good leadership models for uh, anyone in, in a leadership position or anyone who aspires to be a leadership position. So I did study history, and as I said, uh, uh, reading history now, just finished uh, uh, the biography of James Baker that's just uh, just out. It's a, really a wonderful book by Peter Baker and uh, Unrelated. But at any rate, so history into law, not knowing what path I wanted to go down. In law school, I, I to my surprise, I enjoyed uh, business law more than I had uh, any idea I would. Never didn't intend to go that path, path, but you had to take corporations law and advisable to take tax law and so on. So I ended up taking securities law, business law, business planning, and um, just thoroughly enjoyed it. And did that in private practice for a few years, then became general counsel of Sonic, a pretty stunning move at a pretty young age. I was 29 years old when I became general, general counsel of Sonic. And, um, and then from there, just got into the business in a big way and um, uh, learned the business and you know, gradually grew out of the business, you might say. But yes, law was my path, and there was some degree of specialty, uh, but I think that provided a path to becoming more of a generalist over time. I love that. And you, you always talk about exploring. You know, you talk about exploring in the book and, you know, seeking more knowledge, which which gets you to that jack-of-all-trades mindset of not being afraid of breaking outside of your space, which I think a lot of people, they, you know, they, they classify themselves as an attorney, as a, you know, maybe they're, I came from law enforcement. So a lot of people in law enforcement, yeah. well, I'm a cop. I don't know anything else, but the reality is you have the opportunity to be other things. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And I, I think the, the, um, the mindset that's very, helpful in, uh, in, in, in broadening a person's perspective is to, um, um, uh, is to pursue uh, the natural curiosity you have about any number of things in life. And when something strikes you as being interesting, 
the fact that you don't uh, have expertise in it or the fact that it's not your immediate area of responsibility if you're you know within an organization doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it and and particularly if it is something that clicks for you you know and people you can tell that i mean it may not be something you've formally studied but you 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 you're your, your thought is, you know, this, so, this is an area that feels right for me and I'd like to learn more about it, then pursue it. it it's not going to make you a uh, poorer employer pl- or employee rather. And it's not going to make you a less interesting person. I mean, just the opposite, you know? So I think this, this, uh, this idea of open to opportunity, naturally curious. And when things, when do things do t- appeal to you, there's a reason for that. And pursue it on some level or another, and it will make you a richer person. Do you think people have this like underlying fear of going out and pursuing those things? I mean, it seems like people are hesitant to do that sometimes. What, what can you get them off the dime with and, and to start, you know, to tomorrow go out and say, Hey, it's 2021, go learn something new and see if you'll fall in love with it. I mean, how do, how do you get somebody to do that? Have you ever experienced Well, that? I suppose part of this may, I mean, the, the answer is yes. I think a, a lot of people are, and maybe they are for a lot of re- for varying reasons. Um, part of this may depend upon uh, their employer and whether their employer encourages that kind of exploration or whether the employer you know discourages it. An employer that discourages it, I think does everyone a disservice uh, because not only um, not only does it squelch creativity when you when an employer has that attitude, but it also means a less well-developed employee. So, um, uh, an employer's attitude, and it's not, and it's not just, not just a question of feedback, telling somebody to do it or not to do it, but rather, what kind of place of employment do you create that has a kind of openness and exchange and and uh, ready involvement or 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 activities within the organization that are interdisciplinary and give people focus to other. Uh, areas of responsibility beyond their own immediate responsibility so that they can develop, you know? So a lot of it, I think, you know, speaking about development or the leadership development within organizations, a lot of it does have to do with the culture of an organization, whether it permits a person to go down that path. That's a great, great point, um, which kind of kind of moves me to my next thought to kind of dig into here. The difference between specializing and generalizing, and and an employer encouraging that, um, because you know you look at uh, like a succession plan in a business or a succession plan for a leader, which is really important, obviously, to a leader is to build a successor. But you don't know what they don't know. Um, we've hmm. you know, like uh, you know, we're we're a public company. I mean, a big corporation like you guys, and and you look at it and you go, my job is to develop leaders but not necessarily doing exactly what they're doing. I mean, it's, do you, do you think that's a, um, I mean, it, it kind of gets uncomfortable for a leader to think that, but you, you've got to go into it and go, I'm comfortable with it. And I want to encourage that. Um, is that something you encountered during your time as a CEO is trying to drive leadership development? Uh, well, yes, absolutely. And we, we worked really to do that at all levels, but as, it, as specifically as it relates to succession planning, now, one of the methods that I utilize, um, you know, sometimes a board member can say, you know, who is your successor? And uh, I, I always, I've worked over time and with some refinement, I worked over time to stay away from that discussion. My discussion with my board was, here is a, here is a layout of the 
one, two, or three people uh, or senior in the organization, most likely report to me, uh, but senior in the organization who have the potential of having my job someday. And so um, by, by lining out in that way, it wasn't so much to say to the board, because I think it's, uh, it's, I don't even think it's a good approach with, with some exceptions. I mean, if there really is a person that you, you know is going to succeed you and the, the nature, either the CEO or the organization necessitates that kind of specificity. But aside from that, <clears throat> the, the opportunity to develop several candidates is a good idea anyway. There is more than one person likely would like to have the CEO job. So lining up those folks, not literally, but lining out their characteristics. What I did with my board was say, here are six or seven fields like salesmanship or integrity, leading with integrity. You know, um, here are six or seven characteristics that I, I think you as a board should be looking to in my and assessing my successor. And then I would go through with each of these candidates uh, with the board in private, a discussion about those characteristics with each of the three, each of the three individuals, and and talk about which one of them were st- stronger in one area versus another, and if and to the extent there was a, you know, you might say a weakness, but a gap, to the extent there was a gap with one of them in one of these fields, then my job, along along with my human resource director, my job was to help them develop their skills to close that gap. And so this was the um, this this was the process we utilized, and it didn't it, it really didn't pit anyone against another person. Rather, it was an attempt to strengthen all of them. Great concept, great philosophy. I lo- I love that. Um, you know, you're you're really kind of you're coaching them through their personal development. It it seems, you know, more than anything, which really we know a great leader is a great coach. And and you talked. I, I've heard you talk about how you didn't know anything about marketing. I mean, you were you were an attorney, got into being a CFO, things like that. But you had to learn marketing, which you know that's an example of becoming a generalist, right? Is I mean, how did you discover what you need to learn when you're when you need to become a generalist? Well, it's a funny, work? yeah. The marketing thing, in particular, is a funny thing because you know uh, Sonic was a marketing driven chain, it was a marketing driven business. It was primarily ninety five percent franchise operations, and so um, most of the most of the uh, operating of drive ins or restaurants and the and the interface with consumers or customers was done through third parties, i.e., franchisees. So our job, to the greatest degree, was marketing, purchasing, distribution, and ultimately, you know, uh, development of tech, technology initiatives. So um, you know, I think in terms of, uh, I think to some. Degree, though I never studied marketing, I did. I think I, uh, I quite apparently came in with some understanding that, or some basic understanding of, uh, of, of uh, key messaging. Well, I should say first, uh, targeted. You know, who is who is my consumer? Who is my customer? How do I target them? What's my messaging? And you know, what does success look like? And uh, so I think I had some of that intuitively as a young person. I can look back and, and see circumstances in which I exercised that far better than my peers. But it took me a number of years, and I had good marketing people inside and outside the company. It took me a number of years to trust my own instincts about these things. And, um, and, and so 
uh, over time, uh, I probably stepped in and played more of a role, more of a role than my CMO wanted me to play. But uh, that's life, you know. But I, it was also an area that I enjoyed in terms of anything that would have surprised me, you know. I got into a, a lot of accounting over the years in spite of my early earlier story. But uh, the areas I got into, um, investor relations and accounting and, and, and purchasing and distribution, technology, uh, marketing generally, uh, followed by technology, marketing uh, generally was uh, something I, I think I developed some pretty good expertise in, had a big impact on the business and enjoyed it. It was all that's, OJT. That's it. And that's one of the things I love about franchising. And, you know, we're, we're 100% franchise. We have two franchise mm. brands, Remax and Motto Mortgage. And uh, I'm part of the International Franchise Association. It's mm-hmm. it's kind of fun in this space because you get to be that generalist and kind of kind of bounce around. But at the same time, you also and and this leads me to my next question. You you kind of fall into this rut a little bit of okay, you see the challenges of business. And I um I actually zoomed into a uh, one of our franchisees this morning and discussed this during a business planning seminar. You you kind of you start seeing challenges more than anything else. And, and one of the things that you point out in, in your leadership and your uh, experience is start looking for the opportunities. How do you, how do you keep people focused on that mindset shift? Because it's, it's a fear versus love or a closed versus open or limited versus, you know, unlimited mindset as, as a leader, how can you, um, you know, what advice do you have for us on how to, how to keep going in the right direction? Well, it's a that's a that's a good question, and I think you, you can come at it from a variety of directions. Um, in my background in history, uh, I would say um, um, going back uh, centuries, the earliest uh, some of the earliest historians and uh, historian philosophers would say, um, you know, the, the changes that are going to occur and you've got to confront are are not um, are not periodic. They're constant. That life is change, and in small ways or big ways, life is change. And uh, you know, ben, Benjamin Franklin uh, had the comment that when you're when you're finished changing, you're finished. You know, that was his that was his one of his many quotes, which I thought was a good one. But be, because of that, I think then when we look at an organization, and particularly the job of management, uh, the, the job isn't to avoid changes. The job isn't to uh, sidestep things as, as as senior management in particular. Your job is to deal with those changes, deal with the challenges, or as you might say, deal with the opportunities. And the reason that's a critical viewpoint, I think, is because um, is because if you view it as an opportunity, then you you're going to confront it differently and, and confront it more, I think, optimistically and make something good out of it. I'm sure in your business, you've seen any number of times over the years, something initially looked like a real problem. Once once your group got to it and figured out a way to approach it, you may have not only fixed the problem, you really created a great opportunity. And if I have, you know, if I can maybe try in one minute, tell one of my favorite stories about Sonic. Sure. Was we had operators who really wanted to keep their marketing local and, and um, and and so almost all the market money, let's say 99, 98, 1998, 1999, I've been CEO about three or four years. Almost all the money was spent locally. Um, uh, I shouldn't say almost. It really was all spent locally, all the media dollars. And um, we had a we had a promotion that didn't work. And uh, uh, the product that was left over is frozen shrimp. 
And so, okay, well, if you don't use paper goods, you just stick them in a warehouse and wait, you know, yeah, if you didn't use all your straws, you stick them in their warehouse and wait. Well, if you didn't sell the shrimp, you can't wait. And it's not going to get better by waiting. You know, you got a certain shelf life on the shrimp, got to move it out. So we ended up trying to find a way without having a big write-off, how we could move this shrimp. And what happened in the, in the, the way we got it solved was through bartering it with third parties. And we didn't get cash for our shrimp. We got media. We got media from Turner Broadcasting. And so the next thing you know, here our brand was on some national sporting events. And our operators, our franchise operators, did backflips. And so their question was, you know, not, not where did that come from? Their question was, how do we get more of that? So our answer was, well, we can show you how to get more. And so it began a process of getting them first to agree to a half percentage point, then a full percentage point, and then two percentage points into a national fund, uh, which almost 15 years later, finally reached a point where about 85% of their contribution went into a national fund, 15% local, changed the business, fundamentally changed the business, never would have become a national brand without that changing. And yet it was a fluke. It was a problem. How do we avoid, at that time, I think a $400,000 write-off on shrimp? How do we avoid a write-off? And the, and the solution uh, opened our world. It was fantastic. That's That's a great story. Yeah. 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 I, I tell you what, magic of national advertising, right? I, I know my yeah. CFO is going to be listening or CMO is going to be listening to this going, yes, because when we went national advertising, which was in the 80s, it really yeah. blew up the company uh, yeah. as well. So, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. Sure. Oh, totally. Totally. So, Cliff, um, th- there have been a lot of great lessons in in this discussion we've had here. And I, I sincerely appreciate uh, you spending the time with us. I do have a final question for you, though, that we ask every one of our guests that our, our listeners love to hear from our leaders that we have on the show. And that's, uh, Cliff, how do you start your day with a win? Well, that's, a, that's an interesting question, Adam. And uh, I think for uh, an active person, in particular, a leader of people, leader organization, it's a it's a, it's a good question to ask and a good question to have an answer to. I think that I would say um, my number one thing you know, over the decades that I was providing uh, corporate leadership, um, my start of my day to uh, have a win was to um, uh, get up early and get moving. And I almost invariably start my day with exercise. And so um, uh, you you may say, well, that's not that unusual. Well, okay, maybe it's not, but I think it's a the critical part of it is obvious. It's great for the body, and uh, it's great for the for the mind. In my case, the exercise that I engaged in for decades and still do is swimming. And the one of the great things about swimming, uh, depending on how much you do or don't want to focus on your strokes and your kick and so on, is you can focus on your day. And then um, focus on where you are, th- what happened yesterday, things coming up. And invariably, you know, going through that process in the morning, uh, I came out of the pool with a, a much more orderly head, you know, than I, where I, how I went into the pool. And so helping me uh, get focus on the day, you know, get the juices flowing, literally, uh, but oxygen pumped to the brain and uh, spending that time focusing on what was ahead of me today 
made all the difference in, in, in my world. In some ways, it was a real lifesaver over those decades. And uh, But whatever that is for you, a person, um, I think, getting up, getting moving, get oxygen to the brain, and getting your head organized on the day is a, a critical piece to uh, a, a successful day. Wow, great, great lessons there, Cliff. Thank you for being on the show. Make sure you check out Cliff Hudson's book, Master of None, wherever you get your favorite books. Um, I tell you what, some great business life uh, and and personal reflection stories. So thank you again for being on Start With a Win, and we appreciate all that you do. Adam, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you today. It's my pleasure. And thank you so much for listening to Start With The Win. If you'd like to ask Adam a question or tell us your Start With The Win story, give us a call and leave us a message at 888-581-4430. Don't forget to go on to iTunes and subscribe, write a review, and rate the show. For more great content, head over to startwiththewin.com, follow Adam on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And remember, start with a win.